Hello, everybody, and welcome back. I am the Bull, and this is See the Bullski, the podcast where I talk about leadership, followership, resiliency, wellness, and other topics. I'm just throwing that in from now on. Last week, I shared some info on HALT, which stands for Hungry, Angry, Lonely, and Tired as it relates to stress. So if you haven't given it a listen yet, please go ahead and check that out. As for this week, I want to go over a simple concept that many professional organizations know about and use, and maybe you've heard of it, maybe you haven't, but it's really, really beneficial and useful, and it's called the five stages of group development. So let's get into it. First off, the five stages of group development was created by psychologist Bruce Tuckerman in his 1965 paper called Development Sequence in Small Groups. Essentially, it talks about how groups of people go through five stages And each successful stage completion or step, it leads to the overall group into higher levels of cohesion and improved teamwork towards a common goal or objective. Now, this is a useful mindset to have for both leaders and followers because we are social creatures, but it isn't enough to just throw people together and expect them to work well together. Teamwork should often be the ultimate goal for any leader because you will almost always get more done with a team than with just an individual. However, because teams are comprised of individuals, you need to know how to integrate them in a safe and healthy way because if you don't, then you're likely never going to get optimal performance from anyone on the team. As a leader, you do need to understand and appreciate that because of your job on the team is probably in the realm of ensuring your team produces... Your job is to create the environment that people feel safe and valued in. Because if you don't, then your people may feel like they need to fend for themselves, meaning that they're always holding back. But if you can make your people feel safe and a part of the work tribe, if you will, then there's an increased likelihood that they're going to feel more comfortable stretching beyond their own limitations because they know or feel like that they have support beyond themselves. At the same time, Understanding team dynamics is important to followers or just members of the team because they're the ones actually working with others, you know, at the ground level. And if the individual doesn't feel safe, then they're never able to perform at their optimal. In my opinion, leaders are the ones who create and sustain the environment because they have the higher level authority, call it rank, position, whatever, and they can hold people accountable. Now, it is true that everyone on the team can speak up. Usually the only people who can enforce the standards, though, are the leaders. So when you have folks in the team causing issues, it's often going to come down to the capabilities of the leader to maintain an appropriate and healthy and safe environment. This can get a little tricky, though, because as the team comes together, if everything is going well, well, then there can be a lot of resistance when someone new comes in, which I'm going to talk about. And why is that? Well, because the norms prior to the new person may not account for the needs of that new person. And where a lot of teams mess up is by saying or thinking, we're good and you need to conform to us or leave. And when the new person can't or won't, they may feel ostracized in some cases or bullied by their peers. And sometimes leaders are so hung up on how the team was that they neglect the needs of that new person and create a hostile work environment. This, I've seen it happen where, you know, the new person gets blamed when really it was the team that may have been the actual problem. This gets even harder to deal with when a new person is the boss and they come in like King Kong and they want the whole team to change to accommodate them since they're the ones in charge and this creates a massive divide. This can result in emotional upset and an almost certain job performance degradation. So there are other ways that this could go and you've probably dealt with, you know, things like this or maybe you've seen what I'm talking about. So... Where is the balance? Like, how do you balance out team dynamics? No team is going to remain the same forever. And once stability is acquired, it is addicting to want to keep. Stability and teamwork make us feel safe. It makes us feel taken care of. And any new person is 
is we're easy to see them as an outsider. But if I, what if I said that that doesn't always have to be the case? What if I said that all hope isn't lost, right? What if I said that while your team as it was may have been good, your new team, your new team components could actually be better. This is where the five stages come into play. So I'm gonna use some info that I got from mindtools.com to explain the basic concepts, but generally I'm gonna add in my own mix like I do. So first off, the five stages of team development are called forming, storming, norming, performing, and adjourning, or adjourning, however you wanna pronounce it. The forming stage is when a new team first comes together. This is when the individuals, unsure of how they fit into the team, first meet each other. Now, normally there isn't a lot of individual expression and people can typically be more reserved due to fear or anxiety because again, we are social creatures. We want to be accepted by the tribe or the group even though we might not be thinking about it like consciously, because we are put in the team, we inherently want to be accepted by the team. And since we don't know the others when we first meet, we dial down ourselves until we get an idea of what is acceptable and what's not by the team. Now, obviously self-confidence comes into play and more dominant personality types commonly will make themselves known early on. And they intentionally or not, you know, they can either take control of the group or they may just be trying to hurry the comfort level along for everyone. This is why we do things like icebreakers and whatnot, so we can express ourselves and get to know each other in the hopes that providing harmless personal info to each other, we might slowly begin to accept one another. Normally, the person leading at this stage is the leader. Who'd have thought, right? And this is a crucial first step for the leader because if they cannot maintain a safe environment during this time, a couple of things can happen. Number one, individuals may not trust you. And two, you can plant the seeds of favoritism because likely only a couple of people are targeted by ridicule or adversity. And without the leader immediately stopping it, you're inviting animosity from the get-go. The worst outcome is when a leader themselves is the one targeting those who aren't quote unquote acceptable. And in my experience, it's the worst and the weakest leaders who do this because they have no real self-esteem and by bullying, what they're trying to do is you know, find the other potential bullies in the group, and right there, they create the good old boy system at its earliest stages, which draws out the other toxic elements or forces others into compliance by manipulation. Overall, in the forming stage, leaders need to be neutral and accepting to everyone in equal measure. I don't mean that they can't be nice or personal, but there must be a bedrock of professionalism and respect to everybody. Leaders set the tone, period. For the whole team, though, Forming is when you get to know each other, you know, you share your strengths, maybe your weaknesses, your personalities, your experiences, maybe personal and professional goals, you know, you're sharing a little bit about yourself. And this can take some time to work through, which is why appropriate leadership guidance and support must be fair, unbiased, and above all, patient. Interestingly, no matter how much you try to prevent it, personality and personal attributes are going to result in a little bit of discord, sometimes more than others. Maybe a little, maybe a lot, but this is crucial and it actually takes us into the second stage, which is storming. Storming is where the introductions and low level familiarity have set in and who people really are tends to come to the surface. And when I say who they really are, I don't mean that people were being fake in the forming stage. It's more like they they hopefully get some level of comfort and, be, and they begin to sense how much of themselves that they can share, good or bad, and in the storming stage though, boundaries can be tested, alliances or cliques within the team can start and interpersonal conflict may arise. This is the hallmark of the storming stage. That's why it's called the storming stage. 
Not only can boundaries within the team develop, but there may also be resistance towards the leader from members within the team. Sometimes this can come from someone trying to subtly, more or less, take power from the leader for their own gain, or it could be because the leader is showing themselves as incompetent or trustworthy. Again, the success or failure of team development relies heavily on how well the leader can cultivate a healthy environment within the team, maintaining you know, professional boundaries, enforcing standards, and being personable all at the same time. Some leaders may find it easier to try and be friends with the team. I don't recommend this for a couple of different reasons. You know, That doesn't mean that you have to be a dictator either. In my experience, people respond best to leaders who are professional yet personable, competent yet humble, stern yet fair, and above all, transparent and consistent with their intentions. Yet, they're still able to be flexible to meet the individual person's needs. Another important feature of the storming stage is that it is here where people may experience fear and anxiety if their roles within the team aren't clear. This also comes back to how well leaders can articulate and explain the roles within the team and how they are all needed to work together. If you're a leader, pay particular attention. If the team has set expectations for the individuals or do you have a flexible team where people may need to adjust day to day? You know, like are there set things that individuals are gonna do or do they need to be able to adjust as needed by the day's demands? This stage is a good place to start taking stock of the different levels of abilities amongst the team members and make sure to balance out the stronger and more familiar members from the less familiar or developed folks. I'm not saying ostracized, but just kind of where is everybody's competence level at? Not that anybody's bad or anybody's useless. No, they all have a use. That's why they're there on the team. But just kind of during the stage as a leader, who are your really strong performers that maybe have more experience and who are the people that might need a little bit more supervision? That, that's really all I'm saying. Overall, the main function of the storming stage is to get any early issues out in the open and, and resolved as best as possible. This is where trust can really start to grow and it's the bedrock of trust. But if problems are mishandled, I cannot emphasize how important leadership awareness is here, right? You gotta have conflict man management skills going on. Conflict isn't bad because learning to overcome adversity makes teams stronger, but they must be managed. In, in a lot of ways, this is a make or break stage for teams and too often it gets ignored or it gets bypassed too quickly because leaders might be uncomfortable or incapable of handling tense situation. This leaves negative elements to flourish and over time it can and often will destroy the team from within because if it gets to that point, well, leaders can no longer ignore the problems. But the problem is because they ignored it for so long, your people may have lost trust in your ability to handle it. Right? And it can often take another leader to come in with a fresh start to even begin to address those root issues. You know, well, this wasn't a problem six months ago and now you're finally deciding it's important enough to address. See how that might make somebody like hesitant to believe that you wanna make things better. You know, the, the often perception I've seen is it wasn't a problem until it was a problem for you. And again, that erodes trust. So if however, you can make it through the storming stage successfully, then you get to the fun part. This is where we get to norming, and this is where things start to pick up. Norming is the calm after the storm. This is when tensions start to subside, and again, if you've successfully gotten through the forming and norming, this is where things really begin to kick up. And team members, they begin to value each other, and they stop worrying as much about protecting themselves from the team, and they begin to lean on each other as a team. As a leader, you will know that you've hit this stage because you won't smell sulfur when you come to work. And that's just a joke. 
Actually, the giveaway that I've learned to look for is that when I'm not in the room, I can hear the team members talking and laughing with each other. Maybe they go out to lunch together. You know, often a great dead giveaway is that when work is busy, everybody is staying positive. Or if someone is struggling, others within the team will inherently and organically work together and help without animosity on their own without being asked. Often, you know, before the leader even knows that there's a problem. Norming is also a uh, is also feedback within the team can improve without defensive responses. This can be feedback from the leader or just between peers because we are often more open and willing to hear things from people when we feel safe around them. And I want to throw out one caution to leaders who may think that because the team is normalizing during this stage that this is when it is time to slam the gas pedal down and get as much work done as possible. I want to say wait a little and don't dive too far just because you've got past the storming stage. At this point, no one in the team knows their limits yet. So jumping too far too fast runs the risk of pressing their internal support network beyond what their new social bonds can handle. Safety comes from an acceptable or low level of stress, but too much stress can make individuals turtle back up and turn on those that we're trying to build trust amongst. So just be careful, you know, it's a little fragile and it needs to be tempered over time. I've made this mistake and I've seen it made many times. But again, like the previous steps, if you can successfully get through the norming stage and get your feet under you as a team, then you're gonna go into the performing stage. In the performing stage, like the name says, it's all about performance. Here's where the team really hits their stride. Things are going well, small issues may surface, but you know they're most often easily mitigated or handled with minimal discomfort. And best of all, stressful situations bring the team together. And overall, morale is high and productivity will probably be at its best. Not only are the roles within the team established by this point, but flexibility can also begin to appear as team members are more willing to stretch beyond their own preferences and comfort levels because it helps the team overall. Any differences between two team members are actually celebrated and appreciated versus viewed as a threat between individuals. It's also likely that the limits of the team are realized, but because people can lean on each other, those limits are stretched and grown in a healthy manner, resulting in exponential growth, not only for the individual, but again, for the team overall. Leaders during this time may feel the temptation to relax and let up on their role as the steward of standards, as I put it, but they must be careful not to threaten the stability of the team by relaxing too much because that can alter the dynamics of the team and set things back due to perceptions of favoritism or it can call into question the initial standards to begin with. If these things mattered at the beginning and they became an expected norm from leadership, but now they're frivolously tossed away, why were they introduced to begin with? This is a dangerous footing for leaders, so leaders must find a way to maintain standards, but also when you can provide appropriate levity to the team. In my opinion, this is one of the harder skills for leaders to use and it relies on their ability to maintain a visioning goal for the team while opening up the environment for healthy interpersonal relationships. Again, if leaders can maintain the balance and keep things moving forward, eventually the team will come to face another test. So even though things have been going good, the last stage is where there's a, a little bit more of a test um, and this is long-term, like it never goes away. The last stage is called adjourning, and this is an inevitable whether due to people moving, new people are hired, existing people quitting or are fired for one reason for an or another. Maybe the team is reallocated to a new project, whatever. The point is all teams will at some point adjourn, meaning that the existing elements and participants of the team change, whether that's the job itself or the members of the team. 
Either way, teams change and those changes can be tough on any or all of the members, both the ones staying and on the ones leaving. Most often, the team adjourns by losing one or more members of the team and new members come in, which sets the whole cycle all over again. So when new people come in, you go all the way back to forming, which I'm going to talk on in a minute. So those are the five stages, right? You got forming, storming, norming, performing, and adjourning. Now there are some other things to consider. So these are little, you know, me-isms that just take them for what it's worth. Uh, number one, there is no time limit for each stage. How fast or slow, you know, you move through the stages, it depends on the number of people you have, the demands of the job, the abilities of the leader or leaders in managing each stage, and how well you can manage, you know, conflicts. Obviously, work demands exist, so many times teams are generally going to need to go through these stages while also working. So it's imperative that leaders you know, keep a pulse of things and find time and they make ways for the team to work on development as a focus point and not rely purely on organic development of the team. Um, that's not to say that organic team development can't happen or shouldn't happen. It's just that if you take that approach, you increase the likelihood that instead of the whole team coming together, what can happen instead is small clicks will form within the team and then you got a bunch of mini teams. And this can be problematic because it can cause strife between those in-groups as well as increases the chances that someone is left out, which not only hurts the individual, but it does hurt the team overall. And no matter what, I think if you have a whole team, you're still gonna have small clicks. So think of it like a football team. You've got a whole football team, right? But you've got your offensive, you've got your defensive, you got your special teams, those little clicks. But overall, the team all need to be focused on the same objective, which is winning the game, right? So just, again, I, I couldn't go a day without getting through an analogy, forgive me. Number two, it is entirely possible that teams may, and they probably are, gonna circulate back and forth between the stages. So it isn't a one and done thing. Everyone has their own personal struggles, and sometimes teams are forced to deal with unique circumstances that they may not have you know, had to consider or develop the skills for as individuals at the very beginning. And so to handle that, you may have to go back to an earlier stage to you know, kind of reconnect. Also, I'm a firm believer that you know, a crucial part of maintaining the team is having the downtime to connect as people and as individuals outside of just the work. Now, I'm not saying you have to hang out outside of work. But what I mean is find time at work if you can to be people and connect beyond just the scope of the work environment itself. Like find ways to connect with each other. What did you do over the weekend? What movies do you like? You know, stay away from the naughty topics like politics and whatnot, but find ways to maintain and work through, you know, differences and get more comfortable with each other. Number three, leaders are absolutely the make or break component to a successful team. I said it, I meant it, I'm sticking to it. Plain and simple. And I don't say that to blame leaders per se. I kind of look at it like this. The leader is often the one with the most authority or if you prefer power. They are the ones who set the tone and they hold ultimate authority to confront and address concerns and hold people accountable. Now keep in mind that accountability does not mean wailing into your people for you know every tiny infraction. I don't think you should wail into your people ever. That's too personal for me. It just means maintaining professional standards between and amongst the team and allowing harmful behavior to go on unaddressed, it jeopardizes the entirety of the team. Accountability also means recognizing your people in a fair, balanced, and honest way that shows that they are appreciated. 
Adding to that, leaders are the make or break because if they allow issues to go on unchecked for whatever reason, it is going to erode the team dynamics and it often results in subgroups that individuals within the team cling to, meaning infighting and the overall team just ends up tearing itself apart. I've, I've been a part of that. I've seen it. I've heard about it. It's, it usually stems from leaders not taking a stand or not getting involved appropriately, if at all. Number four, and this is a big one. When new people are added, and I talked about this at the very beginning, even if it's just one person, the entire team needs to go back to the forming stage, even though the others might be fine and you're only adding one person. This is where a lot of teams can mess up because the majority might feel like things are good, which I talked about earlier. And so it's tempting to just stay the team as it is and the new person needs to conform to us. The problem with this is, is you're basically trying to force that new person to conform to what the group wants, which takes away individualized consideration and it makes that new person feel unappreciated, unvalued, unneeded. It, it automatically sets a really bad precedent. So even though it seems like an inconvenience to the team, to make an inclusive team means to be inclusive of all the individuals. So when a new individual comes into the team, go back to the forming stage. It shouldn't be that big of a deal because everyone else is already in a good place, right? But going back to the forming stage helps create that safe environment for the new person and allows them to integrate into the team instead of being forced into just what the team expects out of them. Um, I've actually been the recipient of this where I'm the new person coming into a team and I've seen it done both ways where I basically was met with, you know, it was almost as if because I was the new guy, I was the problem and like I was the bad guy for showing up and it just created a whole lot of problems for a while. And then I've been on the other side where, yeah, because I was the new person, I was welcomed with open arms and I was integrated into the team and it was like, it was seamless, right? And as a leader, I've tried to do the same thing. So it can be done and it's actually not that big of an inconvenience. Number five, every person needs to play a part in the team development and maintenance. But because we are all individuals and have different goals, aspirations, strengths, weaknesses, whatever, we also have different personalities. And I've talked a lot about personalities. Some are more boisterous and you know they tend to take center stage more easily. And sometimes those more boisterous extroverted people, uh, they, they try to push the people who are uh, introverted, right? Put simply, extroverts want everyone to be just as extroverted as themselves. And the same goes for introverts. So introverts, they want everybody to be introverted as well there needs to be some kind of balance, right? Some kind of balance needs to happen in mutual respect for the personal and professional boundaries. It needs, it needs to happen, right? It's all about respect. Leaders in particular, they need to sustain and promote that respect, which can be hard when the leader is on one side and they have team members on the other. So if you're an extroverted leader, you might try to force your introverted members to be more extroverted and that's not healthy. And if you're an introverted leader, you might try and force your extroverted people to be more introverted and that doesn't work either. It's all about balance. And as a leader, you've got to be able to flex and maintain a balance with your team in a healthy way. You know, I mentioned this earlier, but leaders must remain neutral and aware of not only the team member dynamics, but also their own internal preferences as leaders and be careful how they express those to the team and what they expect from the individuals on the team. Number six, some conflict is okay. I know this is a kind of a tricky thing and some people don't like that and that wakes people out. Conflict is okay. So please be careful smothering early embers of frustration. As leaders, if you never let people vent and work things out, 
That doesn't mean there aren't issues. It just means that either resentment and defensiveness can run rampant or the issues will resurface without a mediating factor leading to a way bigger issue. Again, leaders, please maintain an awareness of the health of the team and allow for safe spaces for conflict resolution without allowing it to get beyond the healthy scope of control. Sometimes that means taking a break from the moment, you know, we're trying to address an issue, tensions are getting high, we need to take a break, walk away, we'll come back. Sometimes it actually means that there's a deeper systemic issue that leaders may need to intervene on and enforce people to conform to, you know, you gotta conform to the leader. I don't say to just make that your default, but sometimes that is the best solution. Really, it comes down to integrity, justice, and your approach. That makes all the difference. A big lesson I learned years ago was that even though I was in charge, that didn't mean I should fix every problem, especially when it's interpersonal problems, right? And you might wonder why. You might think that that's kind of weird. Well, first off, I'm likely not the not one of the parties involved in the problem. So if I use my position to direct resolution, I am forcing people who aren't me to act and change as if they were me. In some extreme cases, that might be warranted, but often it's not successful or sustainable, and it ends up expanding the problem rather than solve it because now I'm part of the problem rather than it just being the original you know, two or two or three parties. Also, if I as a leader am the one always solving interpersonal conflict between others, how are they expected to work together when I'm not around? Leaders need to have the competence to know when to engage and when to let things run their course. Not everything can or will be solved in a day or even a week. So leaders should be aware of and track how things are progressing so that they can tell if things are getting better or if their help and assistance is needed and then respond accordingly. Number seven and lastly, please allow for 360 feedback. Feedback is crucial for members to get from their leaders so they get intentional development, but feedback amongst team members is also important so that misunderstandings can get worked out, problems can get addressed sooner rather than later, and systemic issues are less likely to take root. The longer problems go without being addressed, the harder they are to fix. Also, I said 360, which means that everybody gets feedback, including the leaders. Unpopular opinion for some, but leaders need to receive feedback too, and not just from their supervisors. They need to receive it from their team members as well. What is working, what isn't, and you know, sometimes leaders just aren't aware of problems. So if you wanna know what's going on with your people, leaders out there listening, you need to create a forum where your people can give you feedback. And it's not fun to be told that maybe you're not as effective as you think you are, but how are you gonna know that and how are you going to improve if you never give your people the opportunity to talk to you in a real manner? It doesn't make you look incompetent. What makes you look incompetent is if you refuse to hear feedback from people just because you don't like it. So. Work on creating that environment and let your people know that you want to hear from them because you need their help to grow, which is true. If you can't take feedback or if you just refuse to take feedback for any reason, that's a sign that there is a problem. And just because you might be in charge, it doesn't mean that you are immune from criticism. And all you do by shutting down upward feedback is again, you build up resentment and hostility towards yourself as a leader, meaning that you end up becoming a problem in promoting a massive divide in communication which results in lost productivity, efficiency, and more team problems. Create a space for people to be open with each other, and that means all people. As a leader, you want, you need, you should expect people to listen to your feedback, then you need to role model that same humility and listen to your people as well. 
So there you have it, a simple breakdown of the five stages of team development. You may have noticed that I particularly pointed out some leadership engagement points, and that was intentional because as I said multiple times, I believe that leaders are the ones that teams center around. They're, they're kind of the quarterback, right? Or call them the coach, whatever. But everyone plays a part on the team, so everyone has a role in making the team effective or not, but leaders need to maintain a healthy cohesion. Understanding team dynamics is crucial for everyone to understand because anybody can notice that when the team is doing well, they can also notice when the team is not operating so well. So anyone can play a part in either making it better or making it worse. So I hope that you, regardless of what position you're in, you heard something that can either help you individually or maybe something that you can even bring back to your own team to help make things better. Again, either as a member or as a leader. So also consider this. The ideologies that create problems is often not the thinking that can solve the problem. So keep an open mind. And just because you've done something a certain way for a long time, that doesn't mean it's always going to work, right? The same goes if an approach worked with a previous team. People are different and people change. And it's our ability to adapt to that change that helps us flourish as individuals and as teams, right? Teams are just a bunch of individuals working towards a common goal. So if you want to be successful, you need to embrace differences as long as it is legal, ethical, moral, and safe. So that's it for me this week. And as always, thanks for hanging out with me. Don't forget to hit that follow button so you get my weekly updates. And please share this episode out to someone that you think it, you know, maybe they'll benefit from it. I am noticing that I'm getting more traffic lately. So again, thank you to all of you that are helping support the channel. I really do appreciate it. As always, I hope you have a wonderful week and I will check you out next time.